What would you find with me? The book of Galatians, please. Well, Tony and I, Tony's my wife, have been blessed today by being with you and especially by the musical ministry of Trinity Baptist Church. It's been just fine. Have you met Tony yet? She's my wife. Uh, she's uh, diminutive. That means she's short. She's a foot shorter than me. So you may need for her to raise her hand for you to see her. Raise your hand. There she is right there. See that? Okay, you'll want to meet her today. We're both happy to be back at Trinity Baptist for the reason that we are here and also just to be with you. She'll be out there at the book table. We don't just have a book table for fundraising. It's a revival book table with some phenomenal and uh, historically powerful books on the table that help people with their Christian life. You know, uh, uh, there has never been uh, books are written that are more impacting on a person's life than the books that have been written over the years about revival. We've got great books out there. She can tell you about them. Look them over, please, if you will, as we seek the Lord, the face of the Lord for revival. Did you find the book of um, Galatians? Okay, turn to chapter 5. Would you do that? Then I'll mention this to you. Also on the revival book table, we have material from the Michigan Revival Conference that a number of us have gotten together and planned. Uh, we're urging the people at Trinity Baptist to be on board about praying for the Michigan Revival Conference, which is going to be a gathering of God's people in June from all over our state to seek the face of the Lord for something that he does want to do in our hearts today. I urge you to be for all, here for all the services Today as we gather, and that'll be the subject, it'll really be about revival and about praying for God to revive us again. There's the uh, card that we gave out in Sunday school. Many of you already have it, but some of you did not pick it up. The Michigan Revival Conference, it tells you when it is on the back, more details about it. And it's a good way to remind yourself to pray for this important gathering that is coming up in just a few months. We have a few other reminders. Here's a pad, a notepad. Who doesn't need a notepad? We always need to look for a piece of paper to write something down. It says Michigan Revival Conference. They're all free, of course. And then also there are some pins that we have had made to remind people about the Michigan Revival Conference and to advertise it. Uh, these are the pens that are there. You can use them to write on the notepad. notepad. And uh, there are plenty of them out there, so you be sure to take them as well as take a look at the uh, book table, if you will, for some book that might be a special help to you. <clears throat> I'd like you to read with me, starting in verse 13. Galatians 5, verse 13. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. This I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, 
ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. All the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Now the book of Galatians is a great doctrinal book. Some have called it the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It's all about liberty. And yet, every place in the Bible that brings us doctrine is very practical. And if you were paying attention, you notice that a great verse like, Walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, had a very, very clear present application. And that was some of the squabbling and envying going on among God's people in the churches. And it ought not so to be. And he was giving the key to things being the way they ought to be in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to say with this passage something that may be surprising to you, and that's this. I'd like us as Christians to see what the world is waiting for right now. Now, I'm sure you're aware of the fact that there have been surprising changes in the last few months. Did you notice? And, you know, some people are delighted and happy and optimistic and buying stocks at a higher and higher rate and are buying homes and making plans and smiling from ear to ear. And some people are amazingly unhappy and expressing their unhappiness in all kinds of bad ways that's going on over the country. But you know something that probably Fox News or nobody else would tell you is this. There's a sense in which the world around us is in suspense, waiting for something. They may not be aware of what they're waiting for. But the fact is that a new party coming into control of our national politics and a new direction for our land when it comes to political and economic things doesn't really meet the needs of our fellow Americans. Not just in our opinion, but in their opinion. You know, like, I still have my broken home. I still have my sad way of thinking. I still have thoughts that are dark. I still have my addictions. I still have my problems. They're all still here. Maybe in Washington things are going to be better, but basically what they're going to be doing is letting me take care of myself. 
The movement to conservatism is really about the government not helping us anymore but letting us take care of ourselves. But friends, you know, a lot of people realize we don't do a very good God job taking care of ourselves. And whether they know it or not, they're in suspense. They're waiting for something to happen. And here's what it is. They're waiting for God. Did you know there are conservative Republicans that are not sure whether there is a God? Did you know the difference that there was when it comes to the old days? And I know it's kind of embarrassing for an old man to say something like this because everybody thinks that's because he's an old man. He wants to say the, the old days were better. No, it was different at another era. And I happen to have lived during that era. It was different. And the biggest difference was the reality of God. There is a God. You know, there's hope because there's a God. There's order because there's a God. There's right and wrong because there's a God. And you know what? Our world is in suspense, waiting for God to appear in his people. Now, there were a lot of people who voted for our former president. You didn't expect a political sermon, and this isn't political, but people of color who voted for him. And had high hopes, and many of them were disappointed in so many ways. But friends, I'm going to tell you, disappointment in the former administration isn't anything like the disappointment they have with us. Whether they know it or not. People in the world had high hopes for the people who call themselves the people of God. Some high hopes. High hopes that maybe you can take your wife and family down to the church and have the problems fixed. Maybe what my empty heart longs for can be found down there at the church. But by and large, we have disappointed them to a horrible degree. And there's a sense in which this new feeling that times are going to be different gives them some hope that maybe there'll be a change that will bring God on the scene. In his people. Now, Galatians from the very first verses is addressed to churches like Trinity Baptist. Chapter 5 is about the difference between liberty and bondage. Now, liberty and bondage are opposites. Did you notice that? They're absolute opposites. But Galatians is saying, that Christians who have been made free by the great emancipator, many of them still live in bondage. And some of them have discovered the secret and are living in liberty. And what a difference. You know, we go to work with people who do not know Jesus Christ. And you know, some of them cannot tell the difference between us and them. We endure the same trials. We have the same distress and sometimes despair. We are worked up about the same problems. We may have the same problems. They don't see a lot of difference. But I'll tell you, if it's a school or a workplace or a neighborhood, you can sure know the Christians who are living in liberty. And you know what? This isn't very intellectual, but I want to tell you the difference. Here's a Christian man comes to Trinity Baptist Flush, Flushing, 
But all week long, he's living in bondage. Here's what he looks like. You know, it kind of looks like slavery. And here's someone, a young person, an older person, wouldn't matter who it is, but they've learned how to live in liberty. Here's what they look like. You can tell the difference. And the world's waiting for that. The world, in a way, is waiting for us to drive home from church some Sunday, and there really is a difference. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we pray that at this hour where you have set it up for another awakening, Lord, that you do in the hearts of Christians, that's me, that's us, what will be necessary for them to see Jesus Christ in us? Oh, Lord, revive your people so that those who do not yet know you will see you in us and do something important for us this very morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when I come to Trinity Baptist, I uh, recognize that I'm standing before a whole lot of Bible reading people. And you folks read your Bible on your own, and you know a whole lot of God's Word and a whole lot of the truth. So, I'm going to put something together for you right now that you maybe already know. Okay? So, sit there politely, will you? Okay. Galatians is about liberty and bondage. Liberty and bondage. Throughout the book of Galatians, you have this little setup. There are two proposals for how to please God. Okay? In the book of Galatians. Both for the Christian and for the person who doesn't yet know Christ. Two proposals. One's right. The other one's wrong. Here's the wrong one. The wrong one is law, works, that's flesh. Now, even to the unsaved world, even to the religious world, this proposal is made. You know, you want to please God, law, a set of rules. Somebody might say, well, I'm in the Baptist church now. Give me the Baptist rules. I know the Catholic rules. I know the Methodist rules, if there are any. I know the Lutheran rules. Now give me your rules. I'll put them on the wall, and I'll buckle down, grit my teeth, and keep them. Okay? One idea of pleasing God is law, and what is that works? Performance. See, I did better today. I'm doing pretty good. My grade is higher. Law works The problem with it is the law works method is flesh. What's wrong with mankind is that not that we're ignorant or that we've made a few mistakes. The problem with mankind is that in the Garden of Eden, we fell. The first man, Adam, had a choice and he made the wrong one. By defying and disobeying God, he made it so the whole human race would be born in sin. And my human nature isn't good. It's selfish. It's sinful. My human nature is anti-God. Okay, so now watch. When I put my human nature, which is called flesh, to work, the results are going to be bad. Even if the goal is good. 
law works, but if it's my flesh working to please God, the results are going to be bad because in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. Okay, so here's what Galatians says. It's law works, that's flesh. The result is bondage. Bondage. Even if a guy comes forward 15 times during a revival meeting, promises, promises, promises. I'm going to do better. I'm going to love God. I'm going to be a good husband. I promise you I will. I'll try harder this week. Tell you what, it's all in vain. Because your worst enemy is you. Okay, now, here's the other proposal. The right one. Grace. It's all about God's favor. Not about earning his favor by good works, but by God giving us his favor for free. Grace. And grace is obtained by faith, not works. By trusting Jesus to do for me what I can't do for myself. And you know what that brings in? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit. Grace, faith, Spirit, which in Galatians is liberty. Now that's about the salvation of your soul, where you're going to live a million years from now, is determined by the choice between the two. If you think you're going to get to heaven by law, I've got to keep the Ten Commandments. Well, we should keep the Ten Commandments, but we don't. That won't save your soul. That'll condemn you. We've already broken God's law. Okay. If I try the, try the law, works, flesh, bondage method, I'll go to hell. But you know what? A person who finally says, sees, if I get to heaven, it's going to be by God's grace because I've already broken God's law. I don't need justice. I need mercy. And by the grace of God, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission to save me from my sin. He died on the cross to pay for my sins. He rose from the dead to be my Savior. And he's alive right now, ready and willing to save me to the uttermost if I come to God by him. Grace, faith, and then when that happens, the Spirit comes in. You know what I've got? Liberty. If the Son will make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, even in this passage, we realize... One of the things wrong in the churches is a misdefinition of liberty. Liberty is not a license to do what you want. It's the power to be what you ought. That's what that is. You know, there are a lot of people who talk about liberty even in churches. You know, we'll get a lot more people in the churches if we get rid of the rules. You know what you do if you get rid of the rules? You get rid of God. God is not a force or power. Or some unnamed thing that brought the universe into being. He is a person. From the very first chapter of the Bible, we find out he's a person with a mind, a will, and feelings. That's who God is. And he has opinions. He's got a point of view. In the very first chapter of the Bible, he made things. And he would say, that's good. And he made this. God said, That's good. You know what that's telling the reader of the Bible? The one who created us has a point of view. He sometimes says good, sometimes he says bad. And God divided the light from the darkness. So now, 
If a church gets rid of all the rules and says, be what you want to be, do whatever you want to do, we're not going to make you feel guilty. You know what they've just done? They've just got rid of God. And where the rules come from is God's point of view, which is always right. Okay, now why? That's not liberty. Liberty is not a license to do whatever you please. Liberty is the power to be what you want. And some of the people who talk about liberty, you know what they will say? They will say, you Christians, you got all those rules, especially you independent, fundamental, temperamental, premillennial Baptists. Oh, boy, I am so... But you, I, I used to go to a church like that. I was bound up in all those rules. Okay, you say all that stuff. And a guy like that says, I say what I want. Say what I want. Don't have to worry about the words. Sometimes I will... Uh, I will punctuate my sentence with a few colorful words. Pardon my French when he's not talking about French. Yeah, that's what it'll say. But you know what? You may be free to cuss, but are you free to quit cussing? You may be free to imbibe alcohol, but are you free to quit? You may be free to be selfish, but are you free to be loving and unselfish? No way. See, liberty is grace, faith in Christ. The spirit that brings a liberty. Now, <clears throat> so, the, and that's also true about the Christian life. You know, there are some people get saved, Pastor Ferguson, and they follow the same old bondage method. You know, I was kidding about this. They'll say, now that I'm saved, I'm in the Baptist church. Give me the Baptist rules. Now, there are rules. They aren't Baptist rules. The Bible has right and wrong in it. There are more commandments than ten. Okay. How you knew that? Okay. <clears throat> I want to please God, but it isn't by seeing what the rules are and doing your dead-level best to keep them. Tell you, you know what will happen? If you're tenderhearted, you'll come forward a lot, pray with a deacon, ask for forgiveness, go back and try harder this next week, and you are back in the same mud puddle that next week. Because that method doesn't work. Law works. You know what that is? Flesh. And flesh will not get you to heaven. And it also will not make you a good Christian. And certainly not a happy Christian. Not one bit. You've got to learn to walk by faith. And to be filled with the Spirit. And there's liberty. They'll see it. Not just the people in the mall, but the people who live at your house will see the change in your life. So let me talk about this real quick if I can. What are they waiting for out there? Here's what it is. Churches with a higher standard. Now you might say, not the people I know. (laughs) Oh, I'm talking about a much higher standard than I don't smoke, I don't chew, I don't run with them that do. Now, I'm a guy that has rules that I have instituted based on the Bible. There are things I won't do. Maybe I've got really, really strict ones compared to yours. Doesn't matter. Did you know that doesn't win everybody over here? Did you know the people in this neighborhood don't say, now there's a church like a church ought to be? You know what they do? They don't go to the movies. Incidentally, I don't go to the movies. So I'm way off on the right, off the deep end, probably. I'm a nut. 
Oh, I'll tell you what, I want a church like that. You know what they do? They not only don't smoke, they don't dip stuff. Oh, the stricter they are, the better they are. Do you think that that is attractive to the world? You know, tell you what, those people, they wear modest clothing. I tell you, Flint is really waiting for people to start dressing modestly. Maybe some are, but by and large, that isn't the standard they look for among Christians. Did you know that people out there know what Christians are supposed to be? Sometimes better than we do. When I was at Juniata, more than once I said, you know, one of these weeks I think I'm going to bring the rottenest, low-downest, meanest, crummiest, weakest, most messed up guy in Tuscola County and let him preach. Because most of them know what we're supposed to be. And they're looking for churches with a higher standard. Look at verse 13 and you'll see what it means. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. That last verse is pretty interesting. You know what it means? If you bite and uh, eat each other, be careful, you might get eaten. Why would he bring that up? That's what's going on in churches. Bite. Backbite. Chew them up. Watch out, you're going to get eaten. Tell you what, I don't know if we're transparent enough to do this. But I feel like asking, how many of you have ever been eaten in a church? Raise your hand. Some church, they were cannibals. Eating with gossip and look down their nose at you. Tell you what, walk into the church, I'll tell you, they've got what we call high standards. But I'll tell you what, if you walk into the church and you need a few bucks to buy groceries for, uh, for your family, uh, I'll tell you what, I wouldn't hold my breath in that church. There are a lot of truth churches. Hold high the truth. But I tell you what, if you need a friend, better not waste your time over there. Do you know what the high standard is? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Oh, I'm going to tell you, that's marvelously attractive. And that's what they think Christians are supposed to be. Do you hear people talk about Jesus Christ and say, Jesus Christ was the most remarkably holy man who ever lived on the face of the earth. He didn't smoke. He didn't go to movies. He didn't let his girls wear immodest clothing. Uh, he was uh, strict in everything he did. That's what makes him the greatest man who ever lived. Is that what they think? What do they think about Jesus Christ? You know what they think about him? The truth. He went about doing good and healing those that were oppressed of the devil. He was the holiest man that ever lived. But it didn't keep him from hanging out with sinners. He ate with publicans and sinners. Never one time gave them the impression 
that he endorsed their lifestyle, but he also let them know that he did love them. He reached across ethnic and religious barriers to the woman at the well, and he sought to quench her thirst. That's who Jesus is. Do you think that Jesus is unpopular? No. You know who's unpopular? We are. But if it was he, they're drawn by the magnetism of the most attractive personality that ever walked the face of the earth, who is characterized by what the book of James calls the royal law. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And they're looking for churches to have higher standards. You know, to say, you see that church? They love people in there. All of my ministry, I've had some ministry to the incarcerated. Jail ministry, prison ministry. My wife used to say when we were at Junietta that I knew every crook in Tuscola County. And I pretty well did. I remember one time I was up at the courthouse to be with somebody during sentencing. And I made a very foolish mistake. I was walking down the hall. I saw somebody I knew. I said, well, hi. I haven't seen you in a long time. How are you? What are you doing up here? Don't ever ask that at the courthouse. Yeah. But you know what? When people get out of jail, I would say you never have to come back. And you know that's important news because many of them come back and come back and come back. You never have to get arrested again, never again. Here's what you need to do. Get as close to Jesus as you can while you're in here. When you get out, find a church. And when you find a church, it's not just any church. You find a good church. And here's how you find the good church. When you go there, they always preach from the Bible. And they tell you in no uncertain terms, you must be born again. Then the third thing I always tagged on there, they teach the Bible. They tell you you ought to be saved. And number three, they love you. And I said, it won't be long before you'll find out whether they do or not. Love! Love! One of the most touching stories I know. I've gotten to know some of the Rice family, the Bill Rice family. Uh, Evangelist Bill Rice and John Rice. John Rice had a big impact on my life when I was a teenager, after I got saved. And I lived with him by reading his books, but of course he died in 1980. But uh, one of the members of the Rice, extended Rice family told me this story. There was a wayward prodigal who was a grandson of John R. Rice, who very, very publicly turned his back on the way the Rice family lived and on their faith and their beliefs. He was very smart. Many years ago, was openly criticizing and standing against not his family, but the Christian faith. And you know, everybody's heart was broken for this young man. And the one telling me about it was his brother. And there they prayed for him, of course, the prodigal. Years went by, nobody saw much of him. He lived in another part of the country, didn't run with Bible-believing Christians. He was over here and over there. And then a certain year, at Christmas, after Dr. John Rice had died, after 1980, he showed up at the great Rice Christmas gathering. He just showed up. And in a book he wrote, he wrote a book a few years ago uh, criticizing what he called fundamentalism. He told this story. He said, I walked in, walked into the party. I didn't know what would happen because people all knew about me. I walked in. 
He said, I looked around. Everybody was sort of stymied, sort of uh, reluctant, awkward. He showed up. Then my grandmother, Mrs. Jana Rice, came over to me, threw her arm around me, hugged me close to herself and said, I'm so glad you came. I'm so proud of you. Now, I'm sure she wasn't proud of everything about him, and he knew that. But his grandmother said, I'm so glad you came. I'm so proud of you, and there are ways you can be proud of somebody you love. What a wonderful story. In the state of Michigan, in the month of, in this past summer, I was in a number of churches like I am here trying to urge people to pray and fast for revival. I preached. No, no, that's right. I was there for that purpose, but they had me back for a tent meeting. Another part of Michigan, I'll tell you if you ask me where this was. And we were having 250 people a night in the tent meeting. These were good meetings. And then one night we had a prayer meeting. And in the prayer meeting, I heard people pray for prodigals. How many of you folks know what a prodigal is? The child of a Christian family who isn't walking with God. Prodigals break their parents' hearts. If you don't know about that, just read the book of Proverbs, which says that your old age, will your happiness or misery will be determined by the behavior of your adult children. Well, we prayed that night. It was just a prayer meeting, but I heard people pray for prodigals. God gave us faith, and we were praying for God to turn their life around. The next night I was there, and one of the family members of one of the families that was there came up to me and thanked me for praying for their daughter. Well, I don't know anybody's name, and I encouraged her to not give up on her daughter. That night, that girl came. I didn't know it. I got up and preached. They prayed last night that she would come tomorrow night. Who'd have thunk it? You know, that would mean God answered prayer. Duh. But there she was. I didn't know about this. The mother came back to me, and she said to me, thank you for several different things. Then she said, there she is. I said, who? Our girl. There she is. And just recently, the girl had done something very public that just broke her parents' hearts and upset everybody. She was not having anything to do with any of the church people, but here she came, and then her mother says, there she is. And I looked over there, and there was about a 20-something girl over here with about four or five other girls her same age who were touching her, hugging her, weeping for her, welcoming her back. And that night, Brother Ferguson... She not only came back to the church, she came back to God. And I thought, you know what? If I have a prodigal child, I sure hope I have a church like that. Where if they ever show up, what they will confront is love. 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 And that's what they're looking for out there. The real thing. Did you know our rules and standards, which I follow very closely can be faked. But real love can't. Number two. 
They're looking for religion that works. Look at verse 16. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the spirit, ye are not under the law. Now what is this saying? There is only one way to overcome what you are. And that's by God. By a miracle. Now the package of salvation has a lot of great things in it. The gift of eternal life includes the gift of the Holy Ghost. And when you trust Christ, when you receive him, you receive forgiveness of sins forever and ever and ever. Amen. You receive a home in heaven. You got the deed. When I can read my title clear to mansions in the sky, I'll bid farewell to every fear and wipe my weeping eye. And you've got the title. And you also get the Holy Ghost. Us Baptists want to forget about him. The Holy Ghost is God himself living inside you to help you overcome what you are. What you are has to do with your flesh. The flesh is incurably selfish. That's why it's called lust of the flesh. The word lust in the Bible hardly ever means dirty thoughts. Lust means strong personal desires. What I want. What I want. That's not just some a problem you've got. That's who you are. Selfish. Selfish. It'll hurt a marriage. It'll hurt, hurt a family. It'll ruin your testimony. Selfish, selfish. Our Lord said, if you're going to come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. How on earth can I live a life of self-denial? The Holy Ghost. It's the only way. Walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. One of the disappointments they have out there is we've got a lot of religion with writing checks, a lot of money in the offering plate, rules, regulations, membership. We've got all kinds of stuff there. But they don't think we have anything that works. Some poor fellow shows up at church today wanting a little peace. He's got a lecture. He's got some religion. But he doesn't have peace. Somebody walks in here hoping he can save his marriage. No, he might be able to be a Baptist. But he's about to lose his marriage. And it doesn't seem like anything in the church house helps. I'm going to tell you, the religion of Jesus Christ works. And the problem is, the followers of Jesus have not been following it. Now here's the way it goes. I have the Holy Spirit. He's my comforter, which means helper. In the Holy Spirit, I have all the help I need to live the Christian life. See? Now my flesh is the opposite. Because my flesh is selfish, it's sinful. In my flesh, Paul wrote, dwelleth no good thing. See? But you know what? If I can walk in the Spirit, I won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Meaning this. 
If I can take my own self out of the driver's seat and put God in the driver's seat, I'll live the Christian life. That's the only way I'll live it. If I stay in the driver's seat and let the Holy Spirit bug me and say no or say do this, but rely on myself to listen to his promptings and do what he says, I'll fail every time. I'll put my life into a wreck. But if I say, you know what? You're a lot better driver than me. Why don't you take over? Now, this sounds like just high fluting talk, but I'll tell you, it works. Walk in the spirit. You'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're looking for a religion that works in your life. You know, they have seen your family and mine. They've seen our flaws. They're looking for a change. Did you know there are people you know who would give almost anything if they ever met somebody who had God in such a way that they were happy, their family worked, they weren't addicted anymore, they were walking the walk? Did you know you may think that people you work with are looking for you to mess up so they can point their finger and say, see, see, but I'm going to tell you, they may think you are a hypocrite. They may laugh at you and say, see, see, some Christian you are. But I'm going to tell you that down deep inside, they are very disappointed because they would love to meet one guy who really had it. And you know what? You have it. Yes, you do, down inside. If you would let the one who lives inside you take over your life today, there would be a difference immediately. Walk in the spirit, you'll not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. I'm going in just a very few weeks back to Canada for a revival campaign. My wife and I just kind of noticed it was a very, matter of fact, it's next week. Uh, I set up my schedule and a lot of it's pretty tight. And I'll look at that and I'll say, who scheduled me for all of that? Well, guess what? It was me. So I'm going to be going to a church where last time we was there for a revival campaign, a man drove across town to be in the service. I was so glad to see him. When I first met him, he sat on the front row of another church in that city. He and his wife sat on the front row. She was smiling and happy. Matter of fact, she was going to get baptized that week. She'd been saved. He'd been saved. She had not been baptized. She was going to take care of it by getting baptized. She was a happy person. He was not a happy camper. How many of you know I don't don't mean camp? Right on the front row, displayed himself. Grouchy, grouchy to her. Just really kind of a grouchy fellow. I could see that. But I was preaching that week, Brother Ferguson, about the Holy Ghost. You know what? Baptist churches need to get reacquainted with the Holy Spirit. Preaching all week about it. And uh, <clears throat> one night, we were downstairs like they do in Canada, eating refreshments, tea and something, crumpets, whatever that would be, you know, after the service. And uh, I uh, finished what I was doing, decided I'd come upstairs, and there I was in the lobby with this guy. He said, uh, Brother Flanders, can I tell you something? I said, uh, yeah. What is it you want to tell me? You know, you've been talking about the Holy Spirit since Sunday, and whether you know it or not, I've been listening to you. He said a couple of days ago at work, and he told me quite an interesting story about how someone really provoked him. I'm going to tell you, if they did to you 
what they did to him. It would provoke you. But he said, Pastor Flanders, I can never witness at work because I have an explosive temper. I'm a volcano. And I've already wrecked any kind of Christian testimony I might have ever had. And this guy, and he told me what the guy did. He said, normally, what I would have done is bitten that guy's head right off. He said, but I didn't. This time, I basically said, Lord, you got to help me. And instead of saying what would come to mind, he said to the guy, okay, that's what you want done. That's fine with me. Okay, that's fine with me. That's your responsibility and not mine. And walked away. He said, when I walked away, Brother Ferguson, I said to myself, was that me? Because it wasn't him. Then he told me about something that had happened today that came from that incident where a big boss had overruled this guy in favor of my guy. Called him up and said, I heard he mistreated you and he this, that, or the other. And I am changing what he said and so on. And then my friend said to me, you know what I learned this week? I learned if you turn something over to God, he can take care of it very well. And you know what else he learned? Walk in the spirit. And you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Lord, I can't do it, but you can. Lord, I'm weak, but you're strong. Lord, what I am is no good, but you're nothing but good. You've got to take over. Step by step, it's walking in the Spirit. And you know what will happen? You won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. When you walk in the Spirit, you really don't even get tempted. There are temptations come your way. But something has changed inside that they're waiting for. Now, I've got another point, but I'm going to stop. The last one, though, I'm going to tell you what it was. You know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for a church with a higher standard. Love. And you know what else they're waiting for? They're waiting for a religion that works instead of the works of the flesh, the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If your next door neighbor lived a life where you could see love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, patience, meekness, temperance. I'll tell you what, if you live next door to a guy like that, you'd be interested in finding out what he's got. Religion that works. Number three, the bottom line from the beginning of Galatians to the end is they want to see Jesus Christ in us. Chapter 1, Paul, many times in the New Testament, gives his personal testimony of salvation. And he uses the phrase. He says, when God was planning, I can't get the words exactly right, to reveal his son in me. And then in the last verse of the first chapter, it says there that they saw God in me. In chapter 2, the Bible says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. See, I live a life of grace, faith. And you know what that does? Fills me with the Holy Spirit and its liberty. Where I put my faith in Christ, not only for the salvation of my soul, but for the deliverance of my life from who I am. And then it's not me. 
It's him living in me. Not a fanciful notion. Not a high unreachable goal. But a reality minute by minute. Do you know what Christian people ought to do on this day all over the world? We ought to come back to the Savior that saved us. And let him live his life through us. And do you know what they'll see? A church full of love. A religion that works. More important than that, they'll see Jesus in us.